Welcome to the 286th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Joseph DePrisco, author of the new novel, The Good Family Fitzgerald. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Joseph DePrisco. DePrisco's novels include Confessions of Brother Eli, Sun City, All for Now, and The Allshammer. DePrisco's latest novel is The Good Family Fitzgerald. He's also written three books of poetry and two memoirs, Subway to California and The Pope of Brooklyn. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard of, heard yet about The Good Family Fitzgerald, how would you describe the novel? First of all, I'd be very disappointed in my publicist that people haven't heard about it. But aside <laughs> from that, so it's a, it's a it's a it's a family saga. It's an Irish American family. It's about uh, it's a family deeply implicated in crime and in the church. Uh, as with as, it, as you, so, there you have two family systems that are kind of dysfunctional. You have the church system and you have the, the mob system, and they're joined in this family. They're, the leading characters or the family members are implicated across the board. There's the, the, the priest, there's the searcher, there's the high school teacher, there's the sex worker, uh, there's the mob patriarch who oversees everything he thinks. Uh, the book begins with a terrible event, and uh, everything spirals from there. And it, we get into what it means to uh, be a family, what it means to uh, be a priest, what it means to be a child, and uh, what it means to be a good daughter, good son. So it's a, it's a long, uh, uh, it took me years to write, and uh, I'm glad I did it. And so do you remember the original idea that led you to write The Good Family Fitzgerald? You know, I, I could probably make up a reason. But what was interesting, I, I tried to actually recreate the circumstances. My computer didn't actually help me very much. But this <laughs> book has taken place. I mean, I've been writing this for many years. And I think I published four books while this was cooking on the back burner for me, including both memoirs. And I think for me, there's I mean, my literary preoccupations have been the crime, the mob, and the church, and that has both have a lot to do with my family history. Then, and, and I think I wanted a novel that would would tell the story of both and how they relate to each other: the corruption, the heroism, the integrity. Uh, there are uh, it's good if I'm successful uh, in the novel. I think the reader is going to be pressed to figure out who who has integrity here. Uh, and if the reader isn't surprised, then uh, then I then I haven't gotten to the bottom of it. But so it began with I think moral questions, and then sort of a narrative challenge to me. Well, how do I tell the story of of a family? And I've been preoccupied, but also with the family. When you write memoirs, as I do, I've written two one pretty long memoir uh, about my family. It's, um, it's a preoccupation. Uh, I've written a couple of books about child development too. 
And when you're writing about child development, you're writing about the family, family systems. I taught for 20 years. Um, so I'm, I'm always thinking about, uh, in the back, unconsciously, I guess I'm always sort of processing what it means to have a family, to be a family. So you mentioned your your two memoirs, and then I mentioned earlier your your previous four novels before your latest one. Um, I'm curious: is the process the same for you um, for each book, or does it change from book to book? Oh, it's always it's always different. There are different parts of my brain that are tapped. With uh, writing a poem is one kind of thing. Uh, writing a memoir is. Well, it's very clear what a memoir is. It's it's it, it's a, an attempt to tell the truth about your life. Um, it can't. It's not an autobiography. You're. It's about seeing the motif, the myth of your own life. And I had a lot to go on um, in in the memoirs. Fiction is. Randall Jarrell, great Randall Jarrell, defined a novel as a piece of a long piece of fiction with which something is wrong, which is kind of an interesting way to think about it because every novel sort of fails at some point. And I, and I agree with that. Uh, a memoir to me is a piece of fiction, of nonfiction of some length, with which something is wrong with the author. So you begin with a loss, you begin with a problem, because why would you write a memoir otherwise? So in fiction, you're lying in order to tell the truth and in a memoir, you're telling the truth in order to tell the truth. Uh, it, it, it's it's a very different process. It, when when you're writing a memoir, you feel like I felt like I was doing therapy on myself. I wanted to send myself a bill at the end of every day. Uh, and uh, it, it's you have a different audience in, in mind yourself. Uh, you want to be fair to the to the people who created you, made you who you are. And in fiction. You're making up stuff that you, th- that I think, in a way, it gives you more access to telling the truth about your life. It's a total paradox, but it's but it's true. And so, what are your earliest memories of reading in books? So, for me, uh, my, my my dad was a, a small time mobster in Brooklyn, and uh, my mom and he were. He was a small-time con man and uh, uh, bookmaker and uh, gambler. And my mother was quite gorgeous and uh, routinely spoke in ways that I can't do on your show. Uh, <laughs> she very colorful. They were both tremendous liars. They, uh, they had great capacity to make up stuff. and. And that's how we got to California, because my father was on the run from the FBI in Greenpoint. Now Greenpoint is very fancy, dancy. Oh, everybody lives in Greenpoint. When I when I grew up in Greenpoint, it's you know Polish and Italian mobsters everywhere, and you know abandoned factories. And now it's oh, this is where you want to live. There, Park Slope, whatever. Anyway, so for me, the family uh, gave me. So I. For me, the church uh, meant everything. I became a very pious little altar boy, and 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 I got the stories from from the church, from the Catholic Church. Uh, I eventually entered a religious order when I was a young man. Became Brother Joseph uh, for a while. 
uh, had some great experiences there. It wasn't for me, uh, but I do have good memories. So I was I was trying to. All my brothers were uh, uh, involved in criminal activities. My youngest brother was in San Quentin for ten years, died of a drug overdose. There were no. You're asking about books. There were no books in my house. Uh, I'm the only person in my family to graduate from high school. So I, I, it was like I was the black sheep of the family by getting good grades in school. Uh, but that, that didn't satisfy me. I wanted it both ways. I wanted to be the good boy, the A student, but I was also very attracted to the other kind of life. And so eventually some point in my life, I was playing cards for a living all around the world. I, uh, I was staked by big money macker, backers. I opened restaurants. I, uh, this is while I was getting my PhD at Cal. I, uh, I was a prime suspect in a racketeering investigation. When you hang out with a lot of guys with a lot of vowels in their names and they run restaurants, they, uh, that gets the attention of the FBI. This is not an experience I recommend anybody to have. Uh, <laughs> being being a, a federal criminal investigation, when the when the agent uh, contacts you and says, "Don't leave town," you're the prime suspect in a, in a RICO case, right? Racketeering influenced and corrupt organization act. Well, that focused my mind a lot for a long time. Also, attorneys. Uh, so for me, it's always been I've, I've lived this sort of split life, and maybe. You know, as I'm talking to you about it, this may be the first time I put it together, that this is also happening in the good family of Fitzgerald, that this whole family is, is dramatizing my internal drama about wanting to be, uh, wanting to be both in both camps. And uh, to, to whatever extent I've succeeded, I have or not. I don't know if that make any sense, Jeff, what I said. Yeah, it did. It did. So so I'm curious. I mean, the, the green point that you described, as you mentioned, is obviously a lot different than the green point of today. Um, as you um, as you mentioned, growing up there and, and you know, the influence of the mob, et cetera. And now you live in the Bay Area and you're a novelist. And as you described um, kind of your journey, that seems like a, a really big difference um, growing up in Greenpoint and, and now um, writing novels and, and doing what you do. Um, do you think that writing memoirs was your, your effort to kind of explain that transition to yourself? Oh, sure. Yeah, I, I think it was. I mean, my, my, one of my earliest recollections of my father, uh, well, not earliest, but sort of pivotal moment. He, uh, I would, I, I was one of those kind of kids who always was asking questions, never getting answers. And, and I was peppering him with questions one day and he said, what are you writing a book? I think, okay. <laughs> Never occurred to me at the time, maybe I will be writing books someday. So yeah, I, you know, this, uh, what helped me too, I think was, I, 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 the college experience was good for me. I got expelled from college for a minute. I've been suspended from every school I went to. As I see, I'm trying to walk the line all the time. Um, the, uh, I think I, I wanted, I wanted to explain myself to myself and, and a memoir is a way to do that. Um, 
So I'm not, I don't know if I'm getting at your question exactly. Sure. Um, it, it, it was. So, so I'm curious, what was the path to publication like for you for writing and then getting your first novel published? Well, so I began as a poet, uh, to which my father said, how are you going to pay the light bills? So I didn't, which was okay. How did, how did he know that you weren't going to make money publishing poetry? But I was in graduate school. I was 24. My first book came out. And then um, I spent the next uh, 20 some years uh, playing cards, going to school. Uh, my, I dealt with my own uh, chemical uh, abuses for years, lost, lost more than a couple of years on various activities. And so it wasn't until uh, I learned, I had to teach myself how to write fiction. And I, I could never write a short story, but I could, so my first novel, Confessions of Brother Eli, that came out, I can't remember exactly, 2000 or something like that. So I'm already, uh, of a different generation. And so that was, and I published with McAdam Cage, which was a very, very hip, uh, uh, independent publisher, published uh, lots of cool books. And I was on their first list. And I ended up being also on their last list where they went out of business. So for me, it was working with a good editor, uh, learning uh, how to, how to get somebody in and out of a room. In a poet, you don't as a for a poem, you don't need to worry about that. But when it comes to narrative plotting, uh, say in a good family Fitzgerald, there's a lot of plot. There's a lot of activity. There's things happening all the time, and that that's something that took me a, a long time to learn how to do. So now this is my sixth sixth novel. And well, the funny thing about writing anything really is there. I think some people may have the idea, well, you're now you know how to do this. And so it's easier. Actually, you know, whenever you, every new book is, you learn the alphabet again. It's just, it's starting from scratch. And it, uh, I think I get in my older age here, I get more ruthless with myself. I hope I am. I hope I more, more ready to, to cut stuff and, and to be more attentive to what the heck's going on, and be and be receptive to to the to where the story. Is. I mean, the story should take you some. If you're writing the right kind of, if you're doing the right thing in a novel uh, as you're writing, the process has to be one of surprise, has to be one of uh, investigation, exploration. Uh, where this where Good Family Fitzgerald ends. That happened so late, years into this. As I said, I published several books while this was sort of gestating. Every now and then I'd go back to it. Uh, when when I knew I had the ending, it was, God, it must have been six or seven years into it, at least. And then I had, and then what you do, it's interesting, when you know the last line, then you have to go, then you see the first line in a new way and you revise accordingly. So you go back and forth. It's a, it's an endless heuristic process. And so it sounds it sounds like uh, you used a very organic process for writing The Good Family Fitzgerald. As you said, it took you many years to figure out the ending. Um, do, you, do you usually write organically? Do you ever plot your novels? I don't know how to do that. I wish I could. 
but I, <laughs> I, I never I never was able to write an outline even for papers when I was in school. I, I tried to learn it. I can't do it. Uh, and maybe it's because I, I'm at heart a poet. Uh, maybe it's that I'm disorganized. That's possible too. Uh, but I, but I think uh, for me, it's as I said, it you, you're taking one step. You know, it's the funny thing is, writing is sentence by sentence. I mean, I know there are great writers who, you know, Trollope, Dickens, George Eliot, and all these great classic writers who look like they they just deliver this book uh, out of nothing. There it is on the page. Well, well, that doesn't happen to somebody like me. It's sentence by sentence. And when you find the right sentence, and it might take you all day to get a sentence right, um, it's it's wonderful. And, and that's because writing is hard. Now, it's, it's my choice. I, I want to do it. No one is telling me to do it. Uh, but the pleasures of writing are fleeting, and they are, but they're profound. And as I say, it's all about that sentence. It's all about the word. And if you get that right, then oh, that's a good day. Well, in addition to your writing, you're the founder and chairman of the Simpson Literary Project, which supports writers of all ages through community-based programs in the Bay Area. In addition, the Simpson Literary Project also awards the annual Joyce Carol Oates Prize to a fiction author at the middle stage of their career. How did you get involved with the Simpson Literary Project? Well, people say I founded it. Uh, I guess I did about six years, five or six years ago, when uh, I, I saw a relationship possible between the University of California English Department, where I was a graduate student and where I taught a little bit, and uh, the town where I'm living in now, Lafayette, Lafayette uh, uh, Learning Center uh, Foundation. And I saw, well, this was a good partnership uh, where we could reach lots of people across uh, generations. And, and so we uh, first thing we came up with was a literary prize, and that was going to be a fifty thousand dollar prize for a fiction writer. I was able to one of the things about being a, a I've done a lot of board chair work. I've been on lots of boards. The main thing a board chair does is raise money. So, <laughs> which is you know I, people think that's kind of uh, I enjoy raising money. I'm asking for myself. I'm asking for the kids. I'm asking for for causes bigger than myself. So I'd never, I never have trouble asking for money. So we, we established this prize 2017. We gave the prize to T. Geronimo Johnson, 2018, uh, Anthony Mara, 2019, Layla Lalami. And then this year, 2020, Daniel Mason, uh, author of uh, the winter soldier and other books, uh, so we do that. We do the prize. Joyce Carol Oates is, is on our board. Joyce is one of the judges, uh, the honorary member of the board. She and I taught a memoir workshop together last year. She's a wonderful human being, a fantastic teacher, terrific writer. And I think you know, she's the emblem of everything we stand for. And what we also do, very importantly, is that we work with kids, high school-age kids, and we give them, we provide writing workshops free, taught by Cal graduate students who are creative writers. And we're at Juvenile Hall and uh, nearby here, uh, Girls Inc. in downtown Oakland. And uh, 
recently Northgate High School in Walnut Creek. So we, we bring, the, so the kids, and then we do the creative writing workshops with them. And then afterwards, at some point, we publish an anthology. We caused to be published an anthology through Rare Bird Books, this nationally distributed anthology called Simpsonistas. So there you have Joyce Carol Oates and Tony Mara and Layla and Daniel in the same book with these high school kids. And that just, it makes their life change. We've done big events where the kids read alongside our prize winners. And, you know, people afterwards say, my my child's life will never be the same. And there are some, you find tremendous talent these youngsters can really write. So for me, it's like, you know, there there are many ways to think about writers. There are writers who think it's a zero-sum game. What I don't get, you know, that's bad. I think, you know, let's, let's spread it around. Let's give, let's give. Give to other writers uh, across the generations. Give to writers who, I mean, there's so many emerging writers' prizes. So we give a prize to an emerged writer who's still emerging. And that means a, that means a lot, uh, not only to the writer, but to, to the, the writer's audience, to, to readers everywhere. Uh, anyway, so that's been, uh, that's, that's my day job, my pro bono, my Joe Bono day job uh, being involved in, in the literary project, and it's been it's been a lot of fun. We, I think we're finally, uh, I think we're there. Uh, we're now beginning the process to find the fifth Simpson Prize winner, and that's always exciting. There's so many good writers out there who could use the support. Great. Well, what writing advice would you offer for listeners who are writing their own stories or novels or memoirs? Yeah, I, I, I get this question all the time when I was teaching about this question all the time. Um, and and I, what I told my younger students all the time was, uh, don't hold back. Every This is it. Don't save anything. Leave it all on the field. And, and, and I think it's, that's the first step. The other thing is, you know, trust your own voice. Um, be your own fool. You don't need to write like everybody else. Having said that, though, you got to read. Got to read a lot. Uh, you got to read books that and, and authors that uh, who you might find kind of challenging or even opaque. You still—that's what you learn. That's when you learn how to write. Uh, I mean, there are all kinds of angles you could. Do. I mean, one one trick that um, that some writers do. When they're that I've, I hear they've done, I've never done it. Is when you take a great story that you love, like of the Dead by James Joyce, or something by Faulkner, the Bear, or something, and and just type it, write it out, or by hand, you know type it out in word for word, so you can feel the rhythm of that story, so you can feel the words taking shape. And I think that's great. That's fantastic. Uh, so yeah, I mean it's it's not an easy easy life being a writer, but you know what, Jeff? I don't know many lives that are easy. They're they're all pretty hard. <laughs> I mean, playing cards for a living was hard. Opening a restaurant was hard. Teaching was hard. If, if it isn't hard, it's not worth doing, right? <laughs> sure, sure. Well, you mentioned reading. What novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Well, now there is a trick question because <laughs> you know I, I've just finished uh, judging the. the the Joyce Carol Oates Prize, where we read oh, 
many, many novels, and there are there are some fantastic uh, uh, writers lately. I've been reading closely, like Daniel Mason, his uh, his new book, uh, The Registry of My Passage Upon the Earth. I love Peter Warner's work; he's fantastic. It's Maggie Brown and others and others. Kevin Wilson is hilarious and brilliant. Nothing to see here. I love that. Um, love Dexter Palmer's newest book, uh, Mary Toft or the Rabbit Queen, just a brilliant speculative novel. Uh, Rebecca Mackay's The Great Believers, a uh, big hit, but uh, really very worthy read. And Maria Devana Headley, her book, The Mere Wife, is good. Chris Batchelder, here's a hilarious book and a, set and, a, and a moving book, the throwback special. It's a critique of masculinity and sports. And, anyway, I can go on and on. These are, uh, this is my world. Um, but it's a good question. And I think we just keep, uh, I, I, for me, I like to read stuff that, um, that, one of the interesting things is when I'm resisting something, I know it's something that's important to me. And, uh, you know, I, oh, here's a book I'm looking on my shelf right here that I loved recently, uh, Deacon King Kong by James McBride. That's a fabulous novel, just fabulous. Uh, the Old Drift by Molly Chappelle. There's another one. So uh, we uh, we keep going, man. Uh, great. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novels and memoirs? Well, the uh, my website is... Uh, Deprisco.com, D-I. And, you know, there's like a million links on Google, uh, different reviews and different. Uh, and I'm all over Facebook. Starting to do Twitter. I don't know about Twitter. I got to do Twitter. What do you think of Twitter, <laughs> Jeff? Where are you on the Twitter question? Uh, I've been there for a while now. <laughs> you, like, you like it? Uh, I kind of go back and forth. <laughs> yeah, I get the my people tell me I got to get more involved. Anyway, Facebook, I'm all over the place. I got videos going, everything. So I'm easy to find. Um, somebody wants to send me an email. I'm easy to find through my through my website. Uh, we're uh, we'll be doing lots of events, uh, virtual events for this. Right now, I'm on this very big national book tour. Being a writer, famous for being unknown, right? But it's all virtual. <laughs> exactly. So, well, great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Joseph DePrisco, author of the new novel, The Good Family Fitzgerald. The novel is avail available now, so go buy a copy. And Joe, thanks for doing this interview. Thanks, Jeff, for asking me. Have a great day, man. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen to audiobooks during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. Reading and Writing Podcast Special Offer. Get two audiobooks for the price of one with your first month of membership with code RWPODCAST. That's code RW Podcast for two audiobooks for the price of one for your first month of membership at Libro.fm.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.